Please listen carefully. Psych Essentials is a show about learning psychiatry. It's fun and educational, but should not be taken as medical advice or opinion. So kick back and try not to worry about those glaring ego deficits. We like you anyway. Hey, Lindsay. Hey, James. Welcome back to another episode of Psych Essentials. You mean anti-psychotic essentials? That's a joke that we have now recycled four times. So we are off to a good start. It always gets funnier. I'm laughing on the inside. I'm not shaking on the inside, but that's a really good segue into some of the side effects we're talking about of antipsychotics today. Yeah, we're talking about how to manage antipsychotic side effects. We've already talked about antipsychotic medications in episodes 11 and 12. These are really useful medicines. Yeah, of course. I mean, they treat a lot of different psychiatric illnesses, but they target many different receptors and they really do have lots of side effects. And so I think it's always important to try and minimize side effects for our patients to whatever extent we can, because side effects are a very common reason for patients to discontinue their medication. And patients are a lot more likely to stick with the medication if we can try to optimize how tolerable it is for them. That makes a lot of sense. You know, if the medicine's causing you problems. Why would you keep take it? (laughs) Yeah. Say somebody comes into your office and they're taking antipsychotic medication. They said, this is useful, but it's causing me a lot of problems. There are some general principles that you can think about when dealing with antipsychotic side effects. And we'll go more into specific side effects and how to treat them in just a little bit. There are four things to think about. So number one, can you reduce the dose? Sometimes a dose reduction can help get rid of or decrease the problematic side effect. Okay. Number two. Can you stop the medication? Is there a really good indication for this medication? Like you're talking about sleep the last episode. Like, Does this person really need to be on Seroquel for sleep or can we think about other things? Third thing to think about is if you can switch to a different antipsychotic medication with a more favorable side effect profile depending on the particular side effect. Okay. And then the last thing is to consider adding another medication to target the side effect. And really, this is kind of the option of last resort. Because you're adding a medicine to stop another side effect, but then that one could have side effects. Exactly. It could. It's like a chain event situation. Now, I'm thinking back about when you talked about antipsychotics last time, and I'm remembering that there are a lot of different receptors that antipsychotic medications affected. That might have some impact on what the side effects are. Exactly. And I think it's a really helpful framework when thinking about uh, antipsychotic side effects and how to treat them. So you can start with dopamine. Yeah, that's one of the key actions, right? That's one of the main things, the reasons why we use these medicines. Yeah, exactly. Blocking dopamine in the mesolimbic pathway helps to really dampen down those positive symptoms of psychosis. But unfortunately, we have dopamine in several other circuits in our brain and Sometimes that can cause problem. So, for example, one of the side effects that are particularly common in antipsychotics is extrapyramidal symptoms, which is caused by dopamine blockade in the nigrostriatal pathway. EPS tend to be more common in high-potency dopamine blockers, like Haldol, for example. 
There's a few types of extrapyramidal side effects or symptoms, right? That's true. There's four different types. There's acute dystonic reactions, akathisia, Parkinsonism, and tardive dyskinesia, and we'll go through each of those. So to start, acute dystonia is a sustained contraction of muscles and actually represents a medical emergency. It's really painful and frightening for a patient. So for example, patients might complain that they feel like their neck muscles are twisting and they can't move their neck anymore or their jaw is locking up and they feel like they can't open their mouth or even that their eyes are fixed upwards and they feel like they can't move them. That would be called an oculogyric crisis. Those are all examples of an acute dystonic reaction. And that's like a cramp. When you get like a muscle cramp in your leg, it's like spasms really painfully. Exactly. It's like this intense contraction of the muscles. And acute dystonic reactions in terms of like the timeline in which they can develop typically occur like a few hours after either starting an antipsychotic or going up on the dose. What would you do if that happened? The preferred treatment is to use an anticholinergic, like I am Benadryl, like 50 milligrams of Benadryl, as soon as you can. Why is that? Yeah, you think like, why would you use an anticholinergic? So the presence of acetylcholine prevents release of dopamine in the striatum. So if you give an anticholinergic, that prevents acetylcholine from preventing dopamine release. It's like a double negative. So you have more dopamine. You have more dopamine, and that allows for movement. Exactly. Exactly. You said the next one was akathisia. Yeah, akathisia, which is this like drug-induced motor restlessness that's accompanied by this feeling that you like this urge to move and inability to sit still. Patients often describe it as feeling like they're crawling out of their skin. It's very uncomfortable. And it tends to affect the lower extremities more than the upper extremities. And so sometimes you'll see patients kind of shifting their body weight back and forth from one foot to another or crossing and uncrossing their legs or constant pacing or doing laps around the unit, kind of moving their legs constantly. How quickly does this start? It tends to develop a little bit more slowly than an acute dystonic reaction. It can happen as quickly as hours, but typically it's more on the timeline of like days after starting an antipsychotic or increasing the dose. Huh. And then what would you do? Like the general principles that we talked about before, if you can't dose reduce, stop the medication or switch the medication, you could think about adding a medication to help with the akathisia. And the ones that are recommended are first line would be propranolol. That can be super helpful. Second line would be benzos in certain situations. And then 5-HT2A antagonists like mirtazapine, trazodone, or ciproheptadine have also been used in case reports. I know that we often think of anticholinergics for treating EPS, but for this particular side effect with akathisia, they tend to be unhelpful. Okay. The third extrapyramidal symptom you mentioned was Parkinsonism. Yes, and that is probably similar to what you're imagining. You'll see symptoms similar to to actual Parkinson's disease, tremor, rigidity, bradykinesia with drug-induced Parkinsonism, the tremor tends to be bilateral, whereas with classic Parkinson's, it's unilateral. That's not a hard and fast rule, but maybe something to think about. 
and Parkinsonism can develop on a timeline of like weeks to months. So this is like an even slower side effect to emerge. Okay. And what would you do about this one? So per above, like if you can't reduce the dose, stop the med or switch the med to one that tends to affect dopamine receptors less, you could use anticholinergics to see if that's helpful. Okay. Is that a medicine like benzodrapine? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. Fourth, you said was tardive dyskinesia. Yeah. So tardive dyskinesia is a long-term side effect of dopamine blockade. And it leads to these abnormal involuntary movements of the face and body. So you'll see things like the patient smacking their lips a lot, sticking out their tongue, writhing hand movements, or even kind of pelvic thrusting, kind of these jerky movements. All of these movements are involuntary and tend to show up on a timeline of like months to years of someone being on an antipsychotic. Yeah, I've seen this in folks, especially people who are a little bit older and have taken a really large amount of antipsychotic medication for a really long time. This is like a years and years kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What would you do? One thing to do is if someone is on an anticholinergic, in tardive dyskinesia, it's actually helpful to stop it. Because in tardive dyskinesia, you have this dopamine receptor, like super sensitivity. So the more dopamine you have around, the worse the tardive dyskinesia is. So that's kind of like a unique feature of tardive dyskinesia is that anticholinergics are not helpful for it. The other thing to do is to consider reducing the dose. And sometimes this can cause an initial worsening of tardive dyskinesia symptoms, but ultimately in the long run can be helpful. You could also change to a more favorable medication like clozapine or quetiapine tend to cause less of these sorts of symptoms. They just don't have as strong a dopamine blockade associated with them. There is also a new medication that came out pretty recently called valbenazine. It's a VMAT2 inhibitor, which decreases the amount of dopamine released into the synaptic cleft. So there's less stimulation of these like overly sensitive receptors. And so that can help the symptoms of tardive dyskinesia. But it's super expensive. We'll see how that particular medication pans out. Okay, so those were the different types of extra pyramidal side effects Within the dopamine blockade, are there other types of side effects that you would see? Yeah. So another important one to remember is hyperprolactinemia. And this is caused by dopamine blockade in the tuberoinfundibular pathway. Ooh. I know. Fancy terms. So recall that dopamine tonically inhibits this pathway. So in other words, when dopamine is there, prolactin is blocked. But when dopamine is blocked, the pathway is no longer tonically inhibited, so that leads to elevated prolactin levels. You can see hyperprolactinemia with risperidone and high-potency typicals. Okay. So essentially through that convoluted pathway of blocking the not blocking the tonics, you get more prolactin and then you get hyperprolactinemia. Yeah, exactly. Just to refresh your memory, prolactin helps to stimulate breast epithelial cell proliferation. And so it helps women with milk production after they've had a child. That's the lactin part. That is the lactin part. Exactly. 
question might be, well, how does this affect people when you know you're not breastfeeding? Clinically, you can see sexual dysfunction in both men and women. You can see galacturia, so discharge coming from the nipple even when a woman isn't breastfeeding or a man. You can also see irregular periods or amenorrhea in women as well as infertility. So there's like a number of kind of bummer side effects associated with hyperprolactinemia. Then what would you do if you noticed that this was happening for you or a patient? Yeah. So if you cannot stop the medication, reduce the dose, or switch to a non-prolactin elevating medication, clozapine or quetiapine or Abilify, you can consider adding low-dose Abilify, which has partial dopamine agonism, to the regimen to see if that improves symptoms. If you have to keep them on that one antipsychotic and can't switch. You could add aripiprazole. Yep. All right. So we've talked a bunch about the dopamine-blocking side effects. What about the histamine antagonism? I mean, you're hitting a lot of the 5-HT2C, 5-HT2A receptors as well. Yeah. So blockade of those particular receptors causes metabolic side effects that we see with antipsychotics. Like what? Weight gain or hyperlipidemia or even type 2 diabetes. And that's particularly notable. In fact, it's so common that we monitor for that regularly, you know, every few months and then once a year if somebody's taking long-term antipsychotic medications. Yeah. What would you do about this? The first thing to think about would be if, is it possible to switch to a more metabolically neutral agent? Some of the worst offenders are like olanzapine or clozapine. Could you switch to aripiprazole or if need be, you could consider switching to like one of the typicals. There are also behavioral things that you can try, including diet and exercise. There's also been some good evidence that menformin can be really helpful for weight gain, and it can also decrease insulin resistance that you can see in the metabolic syndrome associated with atypical antipsychotics. Hmm. Okay. Like you would counsel other people who had weight gain or insulin sensitivity. Yeah. There's also weak evidence that topiramate can be helpful for weight gain, but it doesn't really help with any of the other metabolic changes that you see in metabolic syndrome. Like metformin is more helpful for that. What about things like hyperlipidemia? You would treat those as you would if you were seeing this person in a primary care clinic. You'd use a statin potentially to treat their hyperlipidemia. Fish oil can be used for hypertriglyceridemia if you're concerned about it. So those are some medications to keep in mind or to consider asking the patient's PCP about. Okay. The next type of major transmitter that antipsychotics tend to block is your alpha-1 receptor. When you block the alpha-1 receptors, that can sometimes lead to orthostatic hypotension. So kind of what that looks like is within a few minutes of standing, a patient will experience fall in their systolic blood pressure or a 10 millimeters of mercury fall in their diastolic blood pressure, or they'll have symptoms of uh, cerebral hypoperfusion, such as feeling dizzy or lightheaded or like they're going to faint. Okay, so orthostatic hypotension from like... 120 over 80 to 100 over 70. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, exactly. 
some things that you can think about in terms of medications is number one, sometimes splitting the dose from once daily dosing to BID dosing can be helpful because it decreases the peak plasma concentration and the plasma trough variability, which is hypothesized to decrease this effect on the alpha-1 receptors. The downside of that being that it's harder for patients to take twice daily dosing once they get out of the hospital. The other thing you could do is to stop titration of the antipsychotic if this side effect is occurring like when you're initially starting the medication or to slow down the titration significantly. Another thing to think about is, again, decreasing the dose if that's possible or switching medications. Clozapine and quetiapine tend to be the worst offenders in terms of causing orthostatic hypotension. Okay. Are there things besides adding more medicines that you could do if somebody is having orthostatic hypertension? Yeah, so there are some helpful behavioral techniques that you can pass on to your patient. Number one, you can provide them a little bit of education about how to safely stand up, tell them to avoid any sudden postural changes, and to slowly transition from lying to sitting to standing, taking a, like a minute pause. Okay. Other important things would be to avoid heat or alcohol that can lead to dehydration, encourage them to hydrate well, provided there are no contraindications like CHF or something like that. If the medication maneuvers that we talked about before or and the behavioral methods are not working and the patient is really uncomfortable and they really need to stay on this antipsychotic, the last resort thing you could do is to use fludrocortisone, which is a mineralocorticoid that's actually normally used to treat adrenal gland insufficiency but has this off-label usage for treating orthostatic hypotension. But that would not be my first thing that I would try. No, it sounds like that would be your fourth thing. Yep. Okay. All right. The last thing that I know antipsychotics affect are your anticholinergics. And I know that because when you have anticholinergic blockade, there's that classic hot as a hair, mad as a hatter, red as a beet, dry as a bone, in some combination of those words. Yeah, exactly. Some combination of those words. That's perfect. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think the only one you missed was blind as a bat. Uh, but I'm impressed. You got four. I always forget bats. Yeah. Can't see them. <laughs> Me too. Can't see them. So when thinking about anticholinergic side effects, you can think about them in terms of peripheral and central. So examples of peripheral side effects would be dry mouth, constipation, urinary retention, bowel obstruction, dilated pupils, blurred vision, tachycardia, and decreased sweating. Oh, that is a doozy. That is a doozy. That's just peripheral. And that's just peripheral. And in terms of central side effects, you can see impaired concentration, confusion, memory impairment, delirium. Uh huh. So the mad as a hatter and that comes from being confused or delirious. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thinking about these side effects, I think it's helpful again to think about if you can decrease the dose. You could also think about switching a medication to one with less of an anticholinergic burden or even stopping the medication. If somebody had something really specific like just constipation or just urinary retention? Is there something you would do to address that one problem? Yeah, so there are a few meds that you can think about. For constipation, you can recommend the patient try to have more fiber in their diet. You can also use stool softeners or even laxatives. Like all of those can kind of help to address that. 
in terms of the urinary retention, like let's say you have a patient who has BPH and they really need to be on an antipsychotic, one with anticholinergic side effects, you can use bethanicol, which is proacetylcholine. The way that I remember bethanicol is it activates the bowel and bladder. That's step one knowledge. Wow. Step one knowledge. Yeah, way to reach back. Yep. If somebody was, in fact, delirious or, quote unquote, mad as a hatter because of this anticholinergic effect, what would you do in that situation? That would really be a medical emergency if, if they were delirious and had all these other symptoms of anticholinergic toxicity. So that you would need to stop the medication and then kind of look at their med list and look at any other medications with anticholinergic burden just because so many meds that we use these days have anticholinergic side effects. It's really not limited to our antipsychotics. Not limited. You said there are four major categories of antipsychotic side effects. Can you remind us of them one more time? Yeah. So we have dopamine blockade, Uh um, which can cause EPS and hyperprolactinemia. Okay. You can have histamine and 5-HT2C and A antagonism, which causes metabolic side effects. You can see alpha-1 blockade, which causes orthostatic hypotension. And you can see anticholinergic blockade, which causes... Confusion, constipation, things like that. Exactly. Okay. We've been talking today about managing antipsychotic side effects, which can take the form of changing the antipsychotics... As well as reducing the dose or or stopping the medication. Or, and adding in other medications. Don't forget those options. Definitely not. Thanks so much for listening. Check out our website where you can let us know what you'd like to hear more about, especially if there's more medications or topics not about medications you want to hear more about in the future. Our website is www.psychessentials.org You can also check us out. We're on Twitter and on Facebook at Psych Essentials. On iTunes, you can download Psych Essentials. You can also rate and comment and share. Our music is by Javier Suarez off his album Tumbling Dishes. There's always a link on our website. As usual, people, details, places were changed to protect confidentiality. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Till next time. Bye. Bye.